Hello and welcome to this week's Bosscast. I'm joined by two for the price of one, Craig Hughes, who's CEO for Partnerships at the Instant Group, and John Williams, legendary John Williams, who is CMO. John, Craig, good to see you. Thank you very much for coming in. Now, we're talking about offices, workspace, the future of the office has been a big, big element of conversation, not just on PropCast, but on dinner tables around the world over the last couple of years. So I'm keen that we don't just go back around some of those conversations. Craig, let's start with you. You've come over after pretty much a decade at PwC, heading real estate there, and you've come over to Instant Group to help this business grow and hopefully IPO at some point in the near future. Why don't we just start with some of your take on the last few years and what's led you to this place? Thanks for that, Andrew. We have, um, it's been an amazing time at PwC and at Ernst & Young before that, working with great friends and great clients. That was fantastic. And we grew that business and real estate's been evolving rapidly. We brought some really, really smart young leaders through and that evolution, that inclusivity around the real estate world is something that they've got a great grasp of and they'll do brilliantly into the future. I was looking at what's my next move? And in that, I wanted challenge, I wanted to learn, and I want to be solving some of the problems that you can see out there. And I think if you look at it, the world's changed, you know, drastically Mm. since the pandemic and there needs to be as much choice as possible for people in their life work balance it's life work it's not work life balance so there needs so, to be more than four main accountancy firms you think well is, we is won't go into that there? now that i'm no longer uh, <laughs> and, and there you are can lots, say what you want now <laughs> there are lots of challenger accounting firms and uh, you know it's a very very healthy environment but we're not here to talk about <laughs> audit reform or any of those kind of things so how do you create choice for people in terms of where and how they work. And I think, you know, lots of people in the industry are waking up to that or woke up to it and are trying to get there. And we're here to really facilitate that and help match consumers, give them choice in terms of consuming real estate Mm. and suppliers providing that choice. And John Williams, are we not behind as a country, as a UK market? We had the boss of Austria, which is Germany's biggest listed office landlord on several months back. We've also had all sorts of big European guests recently from Norges and Electra as well. And what he basically said was, look, you're a bit behind what you guys call flex. We've been doing for donkey's years. So uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, just being a stato for a second, London has probably 6% of its total office supplies flex, which is probably the highest proportion in the world. Globally, Flex makes up less than 1% of total office supply. So despite all the media dialogue around WeWork and probably IWG, Flex is still underserved, you could argue, particularly versus demand as well. Well, that's what I mean, but that was his point. His point was that you guys make a big song and dance about offering someone something with the fit-out included, and they've been doing that for ages. Oh, but Flex is more about more than just fit-outs. I think, again, there's a perception of co-working and strip floorboards in a, you know, a Cate++ type environment. Flex is about community, it's about service, it's a very different part of real estate than the traditional landlord. So it's about much more than just contracts. Mm. So uh, for anyone that's not hugely familiar with the Instant Group, you've essentially got several elements to your business. You've got a platform where 
anyone that's got space that could be someone at the high end like a tog for example the office group we had charlie green on uh, not so long ago as well for lots of office charlie green the best dressed man in real estate Uh, absolutely absolutely without a shadow of a doubt i'd agree with that so your platform could list anyone whether it be that work life huckle tree tog the andrew james teacher office company of hybrid that that i might set up so you've got the marketplace piece you've then got a separate piece which does consultancy and and presumably craig will feel right at home in that bit and also you provide managed services which is an outsourced real estate essentially station. an outsourced manager which does all the hard graft that uh, of trying to find a workspace and, and run a workspace and yeah. manage it so if you imagine we've created the world's largest marketplace for flex which has more than 20 years of data across supply demand and pricing and from that we resell all the operators around the world more operators than anyone else with this kind of full transparency and visibility to make your choice as to where and how you procure space. If you can't find it through those means, then we'll do a managed fit out, which will give you the choice of where, when, and how much you pay for a real estate solution, end to end, from requirements straight through to running the process. Mm. And then at the far end, where partly where Craig will sit, is our Incendium consulting business. And they're looking at the procurement of real estate, or not just procurement and how you run a real estate team, but also ESG and all the other ensuing issues that happen around real estate now. To get a really simple vision of the business, think about that marketplace. Everything else we do is there to enable that marketplace to grow, give more choice both on the supply and the demand side. So I wouldn't really carve the business up in that way. We have all of those capabilities. They're all within the business, Mm. but have that vision of us being that global marketplace. Loads of different analogies. None of them are exactly right, but whether it's an Airbnb, whether it's uh, Shopify, et cetera, think of those because you'd be really familiar with them and think of suddenly consuming space and the services and amenities that go around space through that platform. And who do you think does a good job? So given you've got this global point of view on the market, who does a really good job of providing workspace? And what are some of the things that we could learn from those providers? That's not only a good, but it's seemingly quite a leading question, Andrew. So we work with with many thousands of operators around the world. And I think one thing I enjoy most about the market and meeting those operators is the sheer plethora of choice which to which Craig alludes, but also the variety. So 75% of flex space is actually owned by independents, people who run one or two centres. Yep. And I think the market is at a state where the hotels market was 20 years ago, where suddenly, rather than just being reliant on several key central brands, we now have this wonderful independent market. And a digital marketplace opens up that choice for end users. You can go in, find any derivation of space that you want, configuration, and do so through someone who runs maybe one centre to an IWG or a WeWork who own thousands. But choice and being introduced to that as the end user, by that we mean the customer rather than the tenant, that choice is now something that we can democratise through the internet. And building on that, it's those organisations, those people who have an absolute focus on the customer, a real customer focus. So if you think of a standard traditional arrangement, you'd have landlord, leasing agent, tenant leasing agent, employer, i.e. the organisation, the tenant, and then the customer, the person who's in that space every day. Yeah. So that's four steps removed. Now, lots of the industry have been great and have great relationships with their customers, often the tenant rather than the actual individuals. And as workplace technology has started to boom, they're getting more of an understanding 
of the actual customer. Yeah. The ones who are the really good organizations are thinking, what does that customer want and need? And basing that on actual data. Mm. It's great having surveys, which are sentiment, but they're not always accurate. Well, let's talk about that. So that brings to mind three different questions, really, Craig. One around the role of agents and brokers in the market. Secondly, around what technology is doing to disrupt everything for everybody. And thirdly, where you harvest that data from and potentially then who owns it. So let's work in that order. John Williams is the former agent in the room. You (laughs) were previously uh, Knight Frank. Are we reaching a point where agents are A, potentially redundant, and B, where people are starting to question some of the obvious conflicts of interest and evidence that some would cite would be at the minute where, where people are saying, oh, yeah, pricing, oh, it's all fine. Pricing's all fine. And, and you've obviously got loads of people handing back leases, walking away from buildings, saying that they're only going to come to the office 40% of the week, yet agents are running around saying, well, nothing's happening on prices, Governor. That, again, is a big question. I think there is always a role for good professional advisors in every sector, not least the B2B sector. I think what we're saying is that the workplace market in particular in commercial real estate has always been quite opaque. It's hard to buy, hard to transact, and agents have always played the arbitrary role within that to try and um, arbiter, I should say. And now through the internet and similar, it's much easier to procure space. Operators are enabling that choice and making it a lot easier to buy workspace and do so in a transparent way. Does that mean agents will have to change in reflection of that? Definitely. But they've always changed and evolved. I think their model will just move towards more other types of consultancy than direct broking per se. I mean, is there a risk that things get regulated? Because again, one of the fundamental things really, I suppose, is the manner in which incentives get wrapped in and not reflected clearly in the actual price. But that is the opacity to which I allude within the workspace market, whereby for any tenant of any size, it's very hard to factor in what you're buying and how much you're going to pay for it. Not only from a capex, but an operational particularly perspective. Hmm. In flex space, you pay for it when you turn your key in the door and once you're in, and it's a monthly or quarterly fee, and it is what it is. There are some ancillary services sold into you, but with a total cost of occupancy model, it's still incredibly hard to figure out actually what are you paying for in a given sort of self-delivery or lease contract. Hmm. And in terms of technology, Craig, that's clearly going to be a big thing around the partnerships you're building and it obviously underpins a big element of the platform business how can technology play a more prominent part within managing space and within just basically providing better services to people well i think if you're looking at every aspect of your life then technology has moved into all those aspects whether it's streaming whether it's the way in which you consume through retail etc if you look at what we would like to do is that you've got that choice in your hand every morning when you wake up you've got something that allows you to choose where you go and tells you what the impact of that is Mm. whether that's environmental impact which is going to become more and more important does working from home actually have a bigger environmental footprint than walking down the road to a really efficient building You know, it's actually understanding the impact of your actions, whether that's from a cost perspective, an environment perspective, etc. Technology, there's really simple maths. If you double the number of people in a building, then you reduce the carbon intensity per person by 50% if the building's still producing the same on average. So, you know, it's all of these factors. How can technology help you manage spaces better, help you deliver services that match 
need and help consumers with the choices they make and understanding the impact of the choices they make. Exactly that. And if you can drive your choice with your thumb and choose where the smart place to work is on any given day, that will, again, will allow people to make that sort of democratised decision. Where do I work today? How do I work with what team in which location? Now, that will mean that there will be a new interdependency for landlords in the supply side of the market to say, how do we offer up our services to capture that demand? And that's what the industry is ripe for. It's a very different much higher transaction, higher volume transactional market than we've seen currently. But this idea of permanence in 10-year leases and being fixed in location seems very stone age in a world where no other sector really works like that these days. Well, and yeah, and in fairness to some of the establishment figures in the market, they are responding, aren't they, Craig? One company that we've had on the podcast previously, GPE, formerly known as Great Portland Estates. And again, they're moving a huge amount of their portfolio to what they're calling Flex, that's the name of the brand. And it's a good example, isn't it, of an established listed company saying, actually, demand's over here, we're going to move. It's a great example. And everything Toby and Nick talk about, you know, it's two things. One, it's moving into Flex because the demand is there. And two, it's getting closer to the customer and the customer focus and that being fundamental. And there's lots of others looking to do the same as well. So I think the industry is either on its way there, some of them are there, or wants to go on the journey. We're here to facilitate that. We're here to enable it and help them execute that journey more swiftly. What are some of the pitfalls that you see people falling down? Because, again, lots of people are looking across this marketplace at what happens over different cycles with Regis and IWG, and these companies go into prepack. They'll be looking at what happened with WeWork, and they'll be thinking, well, hang on, maybe this isn't such a safe defensive well, bet. Well, it links back to the third point you said you had earlier on. You said you had agents, technology, and data. Yeah, so data-driven decisions. So if you are going to be in this market, where is the demand and where is that not fulfilled by supply? And then also, if you are a landlord, you have have four options. One is do nothing, but let's ignore that option for a moment. There's three options. You can tender, so you can have an operator in, and then you have to think about all the risks you've just raised and how you deal with those risks. Yeah. You can tailor, so tender or tailor, and tailor is effectively white labeling somebody else's solution. So you get the brand recognition, but you're actually not investing in all the underlying operations within your organization, or you can actually build it out. Yeah. So as long as you've got the data to help you make the decision, you've had the support around what the business model and the operating model look like, again, underpinned by data, then that's a sensible way to move data driven decision making while bearing in mind as well that from a landlord perspective it is opening them up to being brand marketers creating leads and becoming a customer services business all the things that a lot of traditional companies are pretty poor at and wouldn't relish so is that the chance for them to partner with operators who are already established to pick up on the brand the lead generation customer services because those are the elements which make a good operator right? yeah, because you know yeah. from your time at the british property federation and so on when the industry does something amazing, I'm not sure the general public actually know about it. If I think of what Argent have done with King's Cross, I think there's a transformation there that's incredible. So that doesn't really get out there. And therefore, the voters, the voting public, don't understand the positive aspect. When something comes up, whether it's facial recognition on cameras, etc., it's suddenly front page news yeah. and the industry gets a bad reputation. Some of that is because of brand recognition and brand awareness with consumers 
who are also mm. voters. So I think it's really great opportunity for the industry to build much stronger branding with the public at large. But, and it may actually be that it's a degree of existential threat unless they create brand. Because you name check WeWork. Now, there are many things to discuss within the WeWork package, but one thing they've done incredibly well is build a brand and brand equity, and that's recognised in their valuation. I would say, and this is the example I always give at conferences, is you know, how many places are there where you can say to a taxi driver, take me to WeWork Southwark? And the taxi guy knows exactly where to take you because WeWork have that degree of equity. They are well known by an end user, a customer. Everyone else in the commercial property game isn't playing that game. Maybe the Shard is a big iconic building, but that's not a real estate brand per se. That's a building. No, it's a brand of a building. It's a different thing. I, I think, and I agree with you, John. And we, you know, we share very much share the same platform on this point. And it's something that I've been talking about for you know the 17, 18 years I've been doing my job. And I think the analogy I always use when thinking about the commercial market is the residential space and what companies like Unite Group, people like Nick Porter, pioneered 17, 18, nearly what 20 odd years ago, turning boxes in Bristol into purpose-built student accommodation that's become an asset class in its own right I think the difference here is that still at present the the principal decision makers are businesses you're obviously dealing with human beings in those businesses there's a human at the end of the phone that that makes that call about whether me at BP or PwC or Accenture whoever takes your space but fundamentally this isn't like flogging a consumer goods product you're still selling a service and as much as we can promote different technology platforms or ESG add-ons. Fundamentally, decision-making in this area is going to be driven by location and price, isn't it, Craig? Uh, Well, that's a really interesting one. If you look at the decision-making since the pandemic hit, was real estate ever on a CEO's agenda, really? Was real estate ever on the chief people officer's agenda, really? It is now. So you will find that more decisions are driven based on the talent war that's going on than on the pure cost and location. And which location is it now? Because it's not as simple as it is that building in the CBD in that capital city, mm. because that has changed. So location by debt or the definition of location has changed, but also the decision makers have changed. And, and so it, it is well, a bit it, more of, of yeah, selling. No, I, I accept that. But ultimately, when you're thinking about where you're going to base your company, the decision is going to be driven by where is it and what does it cost? Not necessarily, actually. Quite the contrary. I mean, it's like throwing dice on a table now. How many CEOs or CFOs have he or she have said, we're going to allow our staff to work from anywhere, and then I've thrown that problem over to their operational team. Mm. How, How do you enable decisions it? like Twitter have been reversed? Why people have made those those, those but, declarations? But we're speaking two to MNCs um, every week at the moment who are saying we want to facilitate work from anywhere. Mm. The issue is how do we enable it through technology, and how do we measure it? As Craig says, to establish value or success. That is where technology and integration will add on to the service layer and the customer service layer to create a new proposition for workspace. Yeah, and I think we need to dig into that cost point, okay? When people have taken buildings in the past, is there, when the occupier's taken it, where's the investment case and which shows the return on the investment? Not just the cost, but the return on the investment. And now when we talk about cost, what's the cost if you don't retain people? What's the cost of recruitment, retraining, etc.? Those are enormous costs. And if property plays a role in retention, then you're looking at a different cost base. It's a much 
bigger one to consider and different levers within it. And then you're actually trying to ask, what's the return on the investment? Now, some of that will be financial and some of it will be non-financial. Mm. But it's, but it very, takes it's a very lot easy to, to shove that on a P&L and say, this is how I've reduced my leakage of staff. Absolutely. Yeah, and then when you look across the P&L and you suddenly see the cost of attrition, then that, you know, at the end of the day, what comes out the bottom of that P&L? Not each component of it. And that's where these things start to be knitted together. Real estate is much more fundamental now almost, or your real estate strategy is occupied, is more fundamental than it was pre-pandemic because it's a more portfolio of options. Well, a former colleague of yours from PwC was telling me about some of the historic car schemes that PwC used to offer where you get these Mazda... Uh, is he somebody who doesn't really use a car, though? Uh, yeah, someone who doesn't really use a car that was talking about this. But, but he was saying how these schemes, if you'd gone out and bought the insurance on it alone, it would cost more than the scheme that PwC did these and, and also prioritised coffee to keep it stock because they had some data globally from all of their offices that showed if you give people bloody good coffee. Every good operator knows you start with the coffee and you build up. Every <laughs> operator I've spoken to, whether it's WeWork down to the smallest guy in Tennessee, it's about coffee and lose every single time. But it shows that it may have been coffee, cars, lose, whatever it was in the past, real estate overall. I hope you're listening to this Bedford Estates who are our landlords here. Um, <laughs> real estate overall, where it is, the amenities, the service, the experience. Experience isn't just about shopping centres. Experience is about what did you spend most of your time pre-pandemic? A combination of your home and your office. So what is that experience like? And why is it a place you want to be rather than you have to be? And why does the experience outweigh the cost and the hassle of the commute? These are the kind of the people, you mentioned the head of HR or people officers, these are the mental equations they're going through now to ascertain the validity of their workspace, I think. Mm. From a technology perspective, we're obviously in a state of flux with a, a variety of different things. Craig, you mentioned face scanning and that's something that i know different architecture firms are looking at in terms of measuring happiness and thinking about not just security and access but all sorts of things and some of those things will be hugely insightful to one bucket of people and be creepy as hell to another and somewhere in the middle you'll have a regulator and a, and a lawyer that will tell you whether you can or can't do it but from a practical perspective Obviously, the main issue that many employers are battling with at the minute is those dreaded hybrid meetings where you've got some people in the office, some people, I mean, we've got our big casting couch camera up there you can see above your head, Craig, that deals with a bit of a fisheye lens on our boardroom here that we're sat in. But it's a pain in the bottom, isn't it, for people being able to manage those? What's some of the tech that you're looking at that's shortcutting some of those problems? Well, there's, there's low, we're not developing that tech. Again, we're a platform, so any of that tech yeah, can be you've got on insights. the platform. So, so share some of the insights. Yeah, share well, some of the, the, the... the insights would be, at the moment, lots of that tech's being developed by the big players, and it'll continue to develop that way. None of it that I've seen so far really answers every issue, but it's evolving rapidly. There's lots of smaller businesses trying to do it. Some of their issue is how do they get scale yeah. into it? And are you open to that, John? Are you open to some small entrepreneurs with fixes to some of these problems coming to see you? I think that the digital physical hybrid world is extremely complex and it's a very tricky problem to solve. I mean, the issue we're trying to solve and partner with more to the point is 
if you want to have physical proximity for a meeting and bring people together, it's the smart enablement of that through data, which is probably a better play. For what does that mean? So, Explain what that means. So through an app and integration of all the different data sets that companies are using, how can we bring your people together in the most efficient, cost-effective way and environmentally efficient way? Now, all that is within the realms of possibility. It's about aggregating big data sets into one single API or, sorry, data set we can use uh, and then project out into these other businesses. I think if we solve that for the MNCs, it becomes a source of aspiration. Other companies will try and get behind it too. But enabling that kind of businesses to coalesce around a physical space, you know, in an informal way, when they want to, in the morning, you choose with your Blackstock team, when do they want to meet and how, rather than being pinned to one location. For me, that's the the new workspace holy grail and what we're fighting for, mm. I, I believe. So where do you see the market going over the next six months or so, Craig? We've got Agents telling us everything's fine. We've got economists telling us we're about to head into a massive recession. We've got a government that's about to implode. We've got all sorts of chaotic things swirling around us. But yet we've got everyone in the office space telling us, calm down, love. All's going to be fine. This is a defensive asset class now. We fixed it. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave the politics and the macroeconomics to you because I'm sure you know more about it than I do. Where are we heading in the next six months? There's demand there for flexible space. You know, we see it every day. There's mass demand and there's not enough supply at the moment. I think you will see operators looking to grow their businesses. But again, where there is the demand, so not guesswork and expanding into a recession without the data, actually using the data to make those choices and expand. I think you'll see more landlords coming into that space. With a recession coming, I think you'll see more corporates thinking about how can they work with their landlord to really utilise what they have, i.e. the grey space, where there is demand, how can that be used? So I think you'll see people smartly and swiftly moving towards flex. But it's not a battle between traditional and flex. As John said, if 1% of the global office market at the moment is flex, there's plenty of room for flex to expand significantly mm. at the same time as traditional still existing. We're not in a war where one will win or one will lose. We're actually evolving to match customer demand and offer choice. So next six months, more and more people using data to make sensible decisions that enable more flex supply. And are you, John, seeing within the demand profile people asking a greater number of questions about sustainability, about environmental performance or anything else? It's a good and question. How is that recorded within your, your platform? I'll answer the question by trying not to answer the question too much. I think it's more of a case that the customer doesn't know what to ask. So they can ask a broad brush question of, is this a sustainable choice? The market isn't great at coming back with a good answer, which mm. is meaningful to a consumer. In terms of not answering the question, what I'm saying is there is a problem there for the community of Flexspace to solve and Workspace more generally. They don't understand Well or Bream or all these other mm. things which currently exist for good reason. They represent landlords. Well, also, they're the main people that benefit from those other people. Exactly that, main... that. But is there a role, I suppose, for Instant as the intermediator here and, and as the marketplace? Is there a role for Instant to say, actually, look, guys, we're going to translate all this bullshit. We're going to make it resonate with customers that you keep talking about. We're going to simplify it. We're going to explain it all. And we're going to enable customers and the providers to have a a slightly more informed conversation about something that we've been This thought told. may have occurred to us, and there may in fact be a business model working behind the scenes right now, but I couldn't possibly comment on that either way. But we've definitely, but, if we're given choice, we've got to give people the information to yeah. make that choice. And environmental impact is clearly something that's important to 
all of those people making those choices. And, so yeah, and helping good, the supply good. chain understand exactly, that themselves. Exactly. Because again, I think one of the issues that hinder the supply chain, by that I mean operators here trying to provide space, is understanding their own environmental impact with the landlords. It comes together and to pull the data from the landlords in a meaningful way for them to then represent to their customers is very difficult currently. Mm, mm. And I, helping them improve all of that. It's fine to say this is the impact, but then if that impact isn't as good as it should be, how do we help that operator, that supplier, improve mm. that impact? Well, your starting point is, is to measure it and get a baseline together, isn't it? Exactly, that's, that's exactly. exactly. Well, look, one final question, I suppose, before you go. You alluded to and you mentioned potentially IPOing the business over the next couple of years. What does that trajectory look like, Craig? And how long is that going to be? Where does the future then take you? Look, nobody's got a crystal ball, and John can comment here as well. I think we're looking at 18 months to 24 months time frame to IPO the business. Having merged in the digital assets that we have, the platform is there. It's already the biggest. It's about making it a customer journey that's even more enjoyable and even more accessible, a supplier journey that's even more enjoyable and more accessible. It's about, a lot of people don't know who we are. It's about making sure the brand is out there with both the suppliers and the customers and scaling quickly to a point where people can see how much we can scale beyond IPO as well as before IPO. And to give the, the boring data-led answer to that too, I mean, look, this year, post-pandemic, hopefully when there's the wobble of recession around there, there's a supply chain issues in the Ukrainian war, demand for co-working is up 40% against 2019. Demand for virtual offices, VOs and meeting rooms is up about 30 to 35% globally. There is obviously headroom to grow under these circumstances with so much demand on the table. But that's why I'm going to put all the pressure on Craig to say he needs to grow the supply and increase the amount of space available because mm. that's where the market needs to go next. More options for more customers in more markets. Then the sector can grow and we can grow with it. Well, look, let's leave it there. Fantastic to have you both in. John Williams, Craig Hughes from the Instant Group. Lovely to chat to you both. Pleasure. Uh, you can subscribe to Propcast by searching Propcast on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts from. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.